Well, welcome everybody, and thank you for being here with us. When you listen to people talk about David Cully, themes such as what a special person he is, how much positive energy he he emanates, believes in servant leadership, someone who conducts himself in a way that brings out the best in others, and an outstanding communicator and teacher, is his ability to connect with people and the approach with which he motivates them each and every day. David defines what it means to be a football coach. Coaching is ultimately about teaching, communicating, and leading people in any environment and David Culley epitomizes those qualities. And Kyle, to be the head coach of the Houston Texans, it is an honor and a privilege to be a part of this organization. Organizationally, um, just want to reiterate our commitment to Deshaun Watson. And, you know, we have zero interest in trading the player. All I know is this, having been in this business this long, you know, he is a Houston Texan. And I want him to be a Houston Texan. And the reason I'm in this position today is because I knew he's going to be a Houston Texan. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking Cal McNair's calamity Houston football team straight from the Great British Isles. In a week, we probably should have been turning the page, looking forward to the new season after the press conference on Friday as the Texans unveiled their fourth coach in franchise history. But it doesn't quite feel all that simple. Joining me this week is, amongst many talents, a writer for the Houston Chronicle, Steph Stradley. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, not too bad. I just, uh, thanks again for joining us. I think it's a bit of a, a straight, I mean, what did you make of the press conference then so far uh, or, or on Friday? I thought it was unusual in its length, but also perhaps in its content a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, it was 24 minutes long, um, and part of that was the introductory words. Uh, There were maybe like 14 people that were still trying to ask questions via Zoom. I mean, the format of Zoom is just hard, just generally for any press conference. And the final question was from one season ticket holder asking about reasons for being positive about this team. And... I don't care who you were going to introduce in that introductory press conference. I mean, if there's just that struggle of Cal McNair choosing Jack Easterby ahead of everyone else, Deshaun Watson, the players, the staff members for the Texans and the fans. Like he has chosen to go this direction. So every choice after that is is a full question. And, you know, David Culley, like all coaches, has pluses and minuses. And and, you know, it it makes you wonder why they went that particular direction, You, you know, if. I mean, he he was the most honest person in the press conference when, you know, he's asked about, you know, why did you take this position? And it's like, well, there's 32 positions and they offered it to me. (laughs) Yeah. It's a straight, I think it's a strange, well, my overriding sort of emotions were, or just sort of takeaway from it was, it was as, it was as if somebody had won a competition and they were just talking him up about how much of a nice guy he is and just kind of thrust into the position. And the sort of key 
points about systems, about staff, about philosophies, about how he wants the team to play, what's he's what's he looking for, where does the team need to improve, all this kind of stuff didn't even get touched upon. But yeah, I think I lost count of how many times he went. Great guy, though, isn't he? Positive. You know, you I mean, who wouldn't want to play for him? Great leader, servant leadership, and all this stuff. And I just thought, are things getting worse? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the biggest. I mean, after they went this direction in going for Nick Casario, but also keeping Jack Easterby, and then doubling down saying, yes, Jack Easterby is going to be a member of this organization. You know, we can't even discuss football. Like this podcast cannot be about football because the things that are happening are not football things. They're more feelings things. And the feeling is that the organization led by Cal McNair is completely out of touch. And I think the best illustration of that is from the original press conference introducing Nick Casaria, who objectively is somebody who is qualified to do his job. And somebody asked about, you know, the rumors about Deshaun Watson wanting a trade to Cal McNair. And as a part of his answer, he said, in regards to four and 99, they are valued members of our team. They're important to the team and the city. They're passionate and they want to win. And those are totally in alignment with where we're going and what we've done here to bring Nick aboard. So it's perfect. We're totally aligned. Like, how can you have that point of view after everything that's gone on other than just the sense of toxic positivity, which I mentioned in in my last piece, which is being a positive person is an asset to you. Having a positive attitude is an asset to you. But Toxic positivity is that feeling where you dictate everybody should be positive and happy about things and and affirmatively ignore the harm that you have caused and affirmatively ignore external reality. Like we're not talking about football here because we don't even have a shared sense of what the direction for the team should be other than this kind of like, Hey, if we, you know, we made this big mistake in January, but if we keep on hiring as many nice and kind people as we can, that somehow that will just fix things that that season was passed and this season's a new thing. And we just won't acknowledge any of the problems that we have, or we'll just say, Hey, I'm Cal McNair. I put Jack Easterby in that position and nobody should blame him for the mistakes he made because that's on me and I'll work harder to make this better in the future. Like that's, that's a sorry, not sorry. That's not an apology. That's not a way forward. And as you mentioned, everybody on the planet, even non-Texans fans wanted Deshaun Watson to be in a in a situation where he could be in a position to succeed. And did we get a new start? No, no. It, it, it seems like they've doubled down on the Jack Easterby vision, which is, hey, let's just stay positive 
and ignore the past and just see that as an opportunity for growth and servant leadership and ignore everything that's bad. Yeah, I think you probably did. Uh, you probably did cow some uh, on on. Uh, <laughs> you probably get too much good delivery there, Steph. I think that probably uh, <laughs> given that quote, I think he, he wouldn't be. He's not as a. He's not as as inspiring as that. Um, interesting. He stayed away from this conference. Well, I think he stayed away or planned to to stay out the limelight. And then I think they changed their mind last minute, and he sort of jumped in, even though he was probably six rooms down the corridor and uh and had a really awkwardly positioned texan's helmet just over his shoulder on one of the tables in a in a room that had no windows and i just thought again like whatever that guy does whether it's making decisions that are strategically important to this franchise or just even a quick intro it's a mess well i mean to to be fair um you know i've i've watched you know, Bob McNair, since even before the franchise existed, him talking about what his vision was for. And in his early days, he was really good at communicating some of that. You know, sometimes he would go a little far afield from football things. But as the years progressed, sometimes he would say things that he shouldn't be saying because they don't help you with winning or they expose your behind-the-scenes thinking. And in the first press conference, it was clear that Cal McNair took that tendency and then put it on top of <laughs> on top of things. Like, everything he has said publicly so far has made things worse. So to make the choice of him not speaking at the second press conference is probably better because even the second press conference is completely insulting to the people whose concerns about last year were not addressed. And so I can't imagine Cal McNair making that situation better when in the first press conference, you know, with Nick Casario, he's, you know, saying, hey, this is a great day for celebrating and four and 99 are totally aligned. I mean, that that's not helpful. The paternalistic comments that have been in most public discussions are not helpful. I don't know if there's anything, any words that could be said that would be helpful. The process of hiding the James Well document, and we'll maybe come on to Easter Bee in a bit, but I kind of have an overriding sense of confusion with Nick Casario in his role. And look, I know he's only been in the, in the building a couple of weeks. He was dealt a shorthand without a doubt in terms of the, the, the way in which he was hired he was not on an even footing, just like David Cully isn't, and they're going to have that sort of uphill against the grain battle for the entire time, however long they last in their five and six year contracts they've signed respectively. But I don't know if I'm I'm out of kilter or I'm just wrong here, but I just have expected a bit more from Casario in terms of the coach he'd hire and in terms of just how he's kind of handled the whole process. And again, you don't expect Cal to, you know, you're talking about recognising the wrongs because he's just not capable or he's too arrogant or a mix of both, perhaps. But I, I just, I thought, or I just keep going back to the the thought that Casario could have done more and no yeah. more so than hiring a coach 
rather than just trying to be a fixer, what a mess, and this is a kind of nice guy to steer us through or just get the best damn football coach you can hire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was one point of view. It's like, okay, fine, people don't like this. But, you know, if you end up getting a good head coach out of the mix, then all is forgiven, right? I mean, that was one point of view. Another point of view was, hey, look, uh, whatever you think about this hire for GM and worries that it's more Patriots without Belichick stuff, you know, he's objectively qualified. He's good at his job. He'll get good returns, right? Yeah. And, And what was interesting to me is I don't like this is partially on him. Like if he doesn't understand after the sports, just like just the sports illustrated articles, like you can blow those articles off that if you want, but to understand where people were coming from, you have to understand that just because you had a good relationship with Jack Easterby doesn't mean that him stepping out of what he was good at doing didn't harm people like, like he had to know. And, and so, but when he, when he showed up, he was saying the same stuff that Jack Easterby has been selling. And part of that is kind of the Patriots way without, without new England, you know, like, you know, everybody was saying, Oh yeah. You know, he's kind of, Nick Casario is kind of low key. Well, he wasn't low key. He was kind of sounded like he was a member of a cult. Do, do you not think? Do you not think when he comes across, when he was trying to make the joke and at the end, but about the five hour energy, you might need some coffee if you can't get juiced up. To, do you not think he just comes across as so forced on a learned behaviour of a, a guy who's incredibly introverted, but yet trying his very very best on his first public stage to be a a sort of you know a bold personality? It just to me. It didn't some days, yeah, it just it feels forced, and and then and I don't know if it's just that perception of of, of me watching him thinking you're really forcing this. Is that because you're uncomfortable, or is that because it's it's just unnatural? And I think it's a bit of both. But it just feel I I I just feel disappointed in what we're getting with him, and I, I think he, he may balance out our problems, but I, I just don't get the sense he's going to solve them, and that's what we need really. Yeah, I mean, to to be fair to everyone involved, doing a press conference is hard. Doing yeah. a press conference to a hostile audience who does not believe in your message is probably one of the hardest things to do on the planet. And the reason why he was hired was not fully because of him being the public face of the franchise. I mean, part of it is his facility in making trades and things like that, but it is a part of the job. And, you know, in the Sports Illustrated article, one of the thoughts about going towards Casario was that, you know, A, that meant that Jack Easterby got to keep his job. But the other part of it was that Casario's interested in very limited things within a football organization and that Jack Easterby would be given everything else in terms of the leadership and the vision. And, and they're completely in alignment with this whole idea of, you know, servant leadership and, you know, team before self, of course, like all, you know, him talking in his, in the last press conference, you know, Nick Sirius saying, 
hey, we're going to be honest and forthright. Well, no, nobody's being honest and forthright about anything. They, they aren't. And so, I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like a cult, like, hey, if we're if we just maintain positive vibes, then everything will be good, despite other people not being all in on our vision. And, you know, the other part about this is, you know, many people in the organization who were not in on Easterby's point of view um, were given the exit. You know, they were they left the building. And, you know, one way of making sure that everybody's all in is finding ways to get people out. Like, I have a personal theory that Cal McNair really thinks that J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson are going to be Houston Texans next year, that that's something that he wanted. And actually, that is a scenario that if you had better coaching and a few more pieces, you could actually win with that. Like, it would be hard to do because of the roster limitations that Jack Easterby put in place. But, you know, Deshaun Watson is an amazing player and, you know, you are given a chance to win if he is your quarterback and is healthy. But I think I think that because they are not compliant people who want to sacrifice themselves to whatever Easterby's vision is, I think they get the heave-ho. And I think that Casario... If, if he's really being honest to kind of the New England way, players are commodities and you just mix and match them the best you can to get you something that could possibly win. And I can totally see a scenario where they decide, hey, look, uh, Deshaun Watson's contract is bad, which it's not a great play, um, team friendly contract. Like it is more player friendly than the Patrick Mahomes contract is in some material respects. And they might just go, hey, look, he's not in on what we're doing. He's not in on our vision. And, you know, we don't like aspects of the way that he leads. So we're going to get as big of a return as we can and just you know, hit the reset button in, in sort of the way that that was discussed in the first um, press conference. We're going to build a wall brick by brick and make things the right way. Yeah. I think that was probably the most insensitive considering the the timing of it. It was yes. the most, and I mean, it would have been as equally as insensitive if you'd have described Easterby as a cancer to Cal McNair considering, you know, the ailment of his father's passing. But I mean, I just think it just, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the issue or the, or the, or the model that they're trying to build, I think, if you think of Easterby's angle on it, that model, and Julian Edelman said this this week in an interview, that the New England way needs to get re-revised and to the Tom Brady way. And yeah. and that's what that model was underpinned by, the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, Deshaun's maybe not quite at that level. He's got potential, certainly. But the whole model of everyone's disposable apart from the main guy, if you lose the main guy, which they've managed to to upset to the point of potentially it's irreparable. The whole model then falls down on its face. And it's, it, it would be it would be the greatest irony of, of Easterby negotiating that contract to then turn around and say, it doesn't work for us. But he's, he's done, he's got plenty of examples like that in his past. Well, I mean, 
it, it's it's kind of a strange thing to to say, hey, we we got this guy because he's a leader and he's a proven winner and he's mentally tough and he sacrifices things enough so that he takes a bus to go play a regular season game. You know, he's a tough guy. And then to say, you know, but you need to be servile to Jack Easterby. Well, I mean, they, that is a game of chicken that they don't want to play because, you know, for some people, if you have some level of money and some level of ability that is beyond what other people can do, you might just choose that you're going to sit out some money currently because you don't want to risk your health for this particular situation or with the disrespect that you've received. And, and really the biggest contrast is the idea of, of team before self is not a revolutionary theory. Like that's what a lot of philosophies are, but, but part of that is, comes from caring. It comes from the things that Deshaun Watson talked about at the end of the year at his, his very last press conference about how the culture needed to change. And he has, he has in practice, in practice, Deshaun Watson has led and his leadership way is, is, is basically, Hey, look, we're going to focus on football and we're going to make this fun and it's not even going to be work because this is such an enjoyable thing that we can do together and build together that you're going to want to do this, right? That's his leadership style. That's how a lot of leaders are. The way that Jack Easterby is doing things is this is how I see the world and how people should live their lives. And I'm going to put that on you. At least that's what it looks like from the outside. And that is not an appealing way to lead. Yeah, I think it's, I, I don't know where the end point is. And if that is the departure of Watson, then, you know, we're very much on that path. My, my, my sort of kind of, well, I think if you take the first uh, first point, I think of it all that the, the, of a, of a, a rarity for them, they've acknowledged the public outcry at Easterby's involvement, told everybody he's not going to be involved in it. And look, I, I don't know why he, his name wasn't brought up in the com- press conference again, probably because it was too short. And we'll probably come, should come back to that. But yeah. Um, but if you if you see the reports of Lance Erling puts out there speaking to football people, he's very much involved. And then probably the worst bit of it all was a and I'm, I'm pretty sure you sent this out as well, that, that there was a coach reporter overheard agents at the Senior Bowl talking about Easterby, sending manic messages to players and agents and their mums or whatever, whoever it was. And he just comes across a bit of a crazed individual. And that's the guy who's meant to be representing this franchise in its, in its quest to acquire the best talent to go and win a championship. But, the, the latter part of that just is completely undermined by the perception. So they, it, they've effectively lied publicly again when you said, you know, it was all about honesty and and it was all about the team. And actually, it's it's all lies, isn't it, really? It's, it's not, it doesn't mean anything. And it just feels like either they can't see it or they can't do anything about the implosion. That one man seems to be able to bring the whole thing down at once. And, I, and I, for the life of me, I can't understand how and why that's been allowed to happen. 
Well, I mean, I think I think part of it was alluded to in the Sports Illustrated article, which is that that Cal McNair has been relying on on the wrong sounding board and that some of his sounding boards have went away. Like the death of, of Bob McNair was very, very difficult, very difficult. It was a difficult time. And there were people that were close to, you know, the folks running the Texans that were no longer a part of, of that sounding board and Jack Easterby's the sounding board. And, and so part of some people's theory is that he just trusted the wrong person and he had the wrong person in his ear telling him what the direction needs to be. And part of that is from Easterby's point of view, culture is king and culture comes first and you can't win without culture. Now, of course, if you have a hammer, everything is a nail. And really, if you if you look at the whole history of the Houston Texans, the biggest issue that they've had is not having the right and broad football experience so that people can trust the direction of the team that, you know, like, hey, like, you, you, you know, you know of all sorts of of leaders of teams where when they say something and they say this is the reason why we did it it totally makes complete sense. And you're like, okay. Or even if you don't agree with it, you understand the reasoning. With what's happening right now, we're not talking about football. We're talking about people legitimately asking the question, are, is the Houston Texans being run as a cult? Yeah. That's crazy. But the decision-making that they've been making is crazy. You have one employee that can do things that that Houston Texan fans have been waiting for decades for a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson. And leadership has gone specifically out of their way to alienate him and to alienate the players on the team. And we don't root for Cal McNair. We don't root for Jack Easterby. We're supposed to root for players. So why why are they <laughs> alienating their own product? It's it's stunning. And part of that, I'm guessing, is that that Deshaun Watson is not compliant in the ways that they would like him to be compliant. Let me ask you a question, right? When uh, David Cully outlined the the scene of he went and spent some time at the McNair household. Do you think Jack Easterby was in that house at the same time? I I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is some of the most hurt people that I have talked to about this situation are people who are Christians who just are are hurt that that a form of Christianity is being used to harm people in the way that they're running this organization in, in a judgmental way. Other people that I've talked to who are not Christians, like I I spoke to somebody who's a Muslim and he goes, is there not a place for people like me in this organization? Now, I don't know that that's the case, but the idea that we even have to ask these questions is stunning to me. 
And the reason why it's stunning is it is clear Cal McNair picked Jack Easterby over Deshaun Watson and wants people to be fine with that. And that's insane. Yeah, and I think the fact that that people are questioning if you know the scenario, if you know if we're going to dra- draft Wilson from BYU and he's a Mormon, is that an issue for the team? And the fact that it's even a conversation probably speaks to the deep levels of issues that, that you know that faith is entrenched in a, in a bad way uh, in this organization. More importantly, this organization's decision making progress. It's it, it's a difficult notion, I think, to for people to get their, their head around and, and try and understand exactly why. But, you know, Cal, I, I've always thought Cal could have, you know, chosen Easterby, you know, if we, if we want to, you know, if we want to take it in that angle, he could have chosen that, but just done it in a way that was smart. And I think that's the difference between him and his father. His father had business acumen, ability to influence people. Because obviously he did because he got a franchise here and he beat LA to do it, you know? And so he, he, he could influence people and, and, and get, get an outcome that he, he desired. His son just seems completely clueless in that. And it, it, it's, it's baffling in many senses. Well, I think part of it is, I think that he has, he's trying to do what his father did in saying, yeah. hey, we want to win, but we also want to win with the right guys that people can root for. And that's not a terrible point of view. I mean, the whole idea of right guys and all that. Yeah, that, the right way, yeah. That's a debate for a different time. But if you look at everything that Cal McNair has done since Easterby has been with the team, many of those things are not things that Cal McNair would have done. For example, Cal McNair would not have fired uh, Brian Gain after such a short period of time. Bob McNair would not have installed a GM by committee structure because in a very specialized world like the, the NFL, you need to have a professional GM who's good at that. Bob McNair would not have put a non-football person as named GM. Bob McNair would not have fired somebody that early in a season, especially if all the offensive coaches barely had their own NFL experience other than, you know, as it related to the head coach. I mean, that put that, you know, all the things that Deshaun Watson has gone through since his time with the Texans has been very, very difficult. There's very few quarterbacks who could, who could kind of deal with that situation, much less thrive under that situation. And once Bill O'Brien was gone, Jack Easterby filled the entire role of leadership. I mean, and I think when we go, you know, circling around back to David Cully, you know, Romeo Cornell, very well respected, very experienced. The players love him and, and rightfully so. But he wasn't the guy to tell Jack Easterby, well, don't meddle here. Don't give this speech there. Any of that. So Easterby filled that vacuum and continues to fill that vacuum of doing all the things that Nick Casario doesn't want to do. Yeah, and if I just piece two bits of information that we found out at separate times. Now, I don't know how many people are aware of this if you were involved, Steph, but so over the summer, O'Brien brings media members in to present to them. 
about their moves and to try and basically you know, win some favour, win some positive, some at least some goodwill with some of the media members. And they talked about the Tunsil trade and why they always thought they'd be picking at the back end of the first round and all this kind of stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then Easterby's hanging around and it was questioned um, and he, and somebody asked, why did Brian Gain get fired? And, and Jack Easterby gave the answer of, Cal McNair did a deep dive into the organisation and it was found that that was the reason why to make it. And, and, and Bill O'Brien actually, you know, deferred that question to Jack Easterby. So when yeah. the SI article comes out, adding the second part to this, we found out that the deep dive was conducted by Jack Easterby because it said he went around departments asking them how they did their jobs, presenting the information. And he basically obviously went back to Cal and Cal said, yeah, okay. So I think on that sort of small anecdote alone, if anybody's got any, not that you should, but if anybody's got any any queries about how much influence that guy has and continues to have in the building, then that was it. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think the interesting part about how everything went out down after Brian Gain got fired was, you know, one of the hardest and most interesting press conferences that happened was right after that. And the person who faced the media was not Cal McNair at that time, it was not Jack Easterby, it was Bill O'Brien. And um, I had a front row seat to this and it was an amazing press conference because he almost talked as though he was sad, like, like, and resigned. And he took every single question and basically ate it. And the whole time that he was part of the GM by committee, it it was always kind of one of those things where um, he would always defer it to the group. Like this is a group decision, group decision. And then when he was made the official GM, what I was told at the time was, hey, you know, McNair wants somebody to be the responsible person for it. But even after that happened, O'Brien would continuously kind of defer to, we have a group of people making these decisions. Now, yeah. I will also say, now, were some of the decisions things that O'Brien wanted? Yeah, those decisions were things that O'Brien wanted. But the people driving the decisions, you know, Easterby was a big part of it. Like I had heard at the time, like, you know, there was the strange timing that uh, J.D. Clowney was traded, you know, where you're not going to get as much value because it wasn't um, before the draft. And and. I remember being at the team luncheon at the time when the news was coming down and being told yeah. Easterby is driving this. This is a cultural thing. He doesn't fit the culture. So he needs to go. And I was, I was flabbergasted. It was like this guy. I mean, the, even the whole concept of a character coach for grown men is kind of paternalistic. Like I get the idea of somebody who is helping performance as an individual, but that is a trusted thing to do. If you kind of have that role and you want to be a confidant, which is in the one of the few, you know, in that presser that you mentioned where Jack Easterby actually spoke, he, he wanted to be that sounding board, but you can't be a sounding board and also be the guy that, is going to use that information to see who stays and goes on the team. Like that is, 
that is a conflict of interest just on its face. And the, and the idea that, you know, these players, many of them have actually overcome extremely difficult circumstances in their lives to get to the point where they are performing at the highest stage. And the idea that you're having Jack Easterby telling them how to live their lives and how to be the best is, yeah, it's paternalistic. I think something it was Seth Payne said it's like going to a therapist and then them uh, sending the full report straight to your boss straight after. And it's kind yeah. of basically a good good way to sum it up. And yeah, I, it, it's a strange position to be in. And I, I don't know where this ends. I think to yeah. go to, and and don't want to go over too much of the watts and stuff, but in in terms of the posi- I, I just keep going back to the thought of there will there must be a point of interjection that this team will have at some point. I don't think they've had it yet because you know they were asked at the press conference directly, have you spoke to them? And also Aaron Reese followed up with what's the timeline? Neither were answered. But it feels like they've not even had that chance yet. And then I, I, I did take a, a probably a slight strain of hope when I saw David Magaletta, this his agent come out and say basically rubbish a number of reports around this. So if it feels like there's still a chance to rectify it. Longer term, will these structural issues probably not fix themselves because I think the fact we've hired this coach in this way shows that they're aware of their issues and they're not out of them yet. And it's almost like after this guy comes and goes, we'll be in a position where we thought we were in 2018. But it felt like on that 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 sort of rubbishing of reports from his agent, that there, there is maybe a chance still to turn this around. And of course, there's always a chance. How small that chance is, I don't know. What's your sense of it? Well, I mean, it's it's absurd that we're even having the conversation because oh, yeah. for, you know, I don't think that Deshaun Watson has played his best ball and yet he has played some of the best ball I've ever seen. Uh, even, you know, just generally, not just in Houston. Like he he has done some plays of things that I have never seen before. So it's absurd that we're even having having to have this conversation. Um, I mean, I think I think there's part of what the agent is saying is, you know, Deshaun Watson at this point has to be very careful, A, not to hurt his his um reputation or leverage what as minor as it is given what the CBA is he can't say or do things that could be seen as um violating his contract with the team because he is under contract um at this point Deshaun Watson is having a deserved vacation <laughs> you know like so, th- we're still pretty early in this process, but his highest value, if he is to be traded, would be before the draft. So you are not having a lot of time to be dealing with this. If it, if you think that he's going to be serious and sitting out, despite the fact that the CBA has really horrible terms this way, but I mean, he he could he could sit out. I mean, it. It wouldn't be ideal for either the team or him, but this is the game of chicken that they're playing, and they have decided that Jack Easterby needs to be a big part of that building. Now, let's say, let's uh, let's assume they take Easterby out. Is that enough? Is that enough? Like, if, no, I, if, I don't think it's as Nick, simple as that. Is it? 
if Nick Casario cannot do his job without Jack Easterby in the building, then he is not equipped to be an NFL GM, right? So I don't think that would be enough. I think I think that would be a good start. I think getting more professionals. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's about building trust. Nobody trusts Cal McNair. Um, very few people trust Jack Easterby, but those few people include Cal McNair and Nick Casario. Um, so I don't know how you get past this impasse, and I don't know that I'm not even sure if they really want to. Like, you know, as I was alluding to before, I think Cal McNair wants the players to stay. It may be that Nick Casario and Jack Easterby have decided, hey, we're going to have this situation work the way it is and then convince Cal McNair that this is just not going to work, that he's not all in. And we only want Texans who are all in and get him to go and get as much draft, you know, draft capital as you can. When you think of the strain on the building, though, in terms of, so if you think we need to build trust and just say you yeah. can get Easter B go, and Casario completely overhauls the front office, and but you can't do that until the draft, right? So why I think if, or why I think it's almost impossible, there's two reasons why I think it's impossible for Deshaun to go, but the, the, the primary one is that this coaching or this well not the coaching staff because it's been replaced but the but the back but the the scouts and the, the personnel department they weren't set up to be looking at so just see you trade Watson hypothetically. Yeah. They weren't they weren't set up to to go and attack that end of the draft because they've not been planning it for the whole year. So I, I just don't see how you could possibly and obviously they'll say, you know, we draft every player, get a grade on them, get a board, you know, and etc. But when when you know you're not picking till the third round for the whole year, you've I don't think you're anyway, even subconsciously, you won't be equipped to go and attack the early part of the draft. So I think if he goes, you can't replace him probably because you're not ready. And and also the just the impact of it. And it's, the as you said, it's the most ludicrous situation you could ever imagine. But the, And it's a completely unprecedented situation of a 25-year-old guy in his prime, as you said, still got a huge ceiling to go and attack and in terms of his prime. Under contract. And under contract. So and, the, and it comes to my second point of the sec, why I think... There is a and Mike Meltzer put a thread about this over the weekend, and he was spot on. And it was something that I'd actually spoken about with a couple of friends over the weekend. That we said that if you think the, the, the NBA, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, at that as a as a as a foreign onlooker, but is a bit of a circus because it's trade. You, know, you saw it with James Harden. You saw it with trades. You see, people are almost more interested in free agency than they are the eighty odd games that they play. So it's actually become a circus that supports the main product. And that's where they get enough engagement. And look, that part of that's media and all that kind of stuff and how it's consumed these days. But the, the league, in the from an ownership point of view, when you've got a CBA that is all centered around cost control and control over your your labor costs and your and, and their labor forces, you know there is a union, but it's it's not that influential. You saw how badly this this latest CBA was agreed. And look, I do I realize what I do. They got the money, etc. But if you're an owner. I would have been on the phone to Calhoun there and just and just said, "Look, Calhoun, from a whatever point of view, from ownership, from a league point of view, from the commissioner's point of view, from the shield and the the, the money, the the system that you that you've bought into as a franchise, you're you know as a franchisee, you've got a, a duty to the rest of us 
to fix this. Because if if it sets the precedent that a player under contract who's not who's who's actually been paid who, who who's been paid twenty seven million dollars signing bonus, but ne- but then goes on to never play a snap on that contract, you've undermined the the whole contract system of this league for a second time. You did it with Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. You reset the market and at a ludicrous premium to to the, the market rate. And then if you, if you then just if you then remove the validity and the credibility of contracts in this league that's a bigger problem than being a bad owner and that's where i think you've got to hope that those forces alone and and it's kind of corporate america controlling people but ultimately yeah, I, don't, I don't i don't see that happening for a number of reasons you know whether no. nfl or other owners i mean i think one aspect of that is just um, if if that happened every time that people made dumb or unusual um, decisions, then it would be happening all the time. You have the context of, you know, the Rams being fine, eating a bunch of dead money with golf just to kind of change change directions at at the top of their organization. You know, I don't think that the Rams are getting those calls, and you know that is kind of a high risk move. Um, and then the other aspect of it is just basic antitrust law that you're not supposed to be colluding with each other in order to, uh, you know, deal with your costs of an employment. Um, yeah. But it is, it is as a general view is, you know, the CBA is very punitive to players who dislike their leadership extraordinarily punitive this particular one but part of that is you don't want a situation where owners are making decisions based on bizarre choices like that undermines just kind of a fiduciary relationship with your fan base and everyone and you know even as a separate side point i think the Texans leave so much money lying on the ground, mostly because they almost have a sense that the tough thing is the right thing to do. And if you get blowback, that just shows how righteous your cause is. And, you know, most healthy organizations actually have some bridge between their consumers and their staff and their players where making things easier for fans and making things easier for players and staff kind of works together as a part of winning. It's much easier to win if you're working from a vat of goodwill. It's much harder. Like it's hard enough playing NFL football without having to overcome your GM, which is basically what Deshaun Watson was talking about in his last press conference when he was asked about how he dealt with that situation. And he said, well, I, I put it out of my head as a distraction. It's like, you're putting the GM out of your head as a distraction. That's yeah. crazy. Like we shouldn't be putting impediments towards winning as just kind of like this righteous cause of, you know, like if you overcome things somehow, that's great. No, sometimes, you know, like, like Cal McNair said, change is hard. Well, sometimes changes are hard, but sometimes changes are beautiful. 
Changes are beautiful. And I hope that the Texans at some point realize that good changes can be beautiful if you get buy-in and if you engender trust instead of just telling your your fan base in your in your opening statement that we can't this is what Cal McNair said we believe you can't go wrong by doing what's right and we <laughs> ask our fans to trust that we know what's right uh no you do do not you do not you have not and oh by the way let's see what happened after that press conference yeah i think i think that's it the, the every I, from the minute they hired Casero, they were on the clock, I thought, with Watson and trying to fix it. Albert Breer talked about that. You know, he, he said Watson spoke to him at Thanksgiving. He said he was excited about the new direction and it took a U-turn, whatever you want to call it. It went, it's gone well off course. It's continuing to do that. Well, and and, and, and they doubled down on it because, you know, they yeah. had a press conference to introduce Casario and it wasn't great, obviously. You know, when when the person who preaches against distractions is the distraction, that's a problem. But then uh, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle called Cal McNair up and said, Hey, you know, this is an issue. What's the deal with Jack Easterby and what's your view on this? And he doubled down and just said, Hey, I'm sorry if, you know, I, I gave him these positions where, you know, he was in and, and he grew into and he's staying. I mean, it's clear. That's, he made it real clear what he thought about all of this. And, you know, I, I take responsibility for these decisions. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, how do you, how do you, how do you get around that? Like, what, what does Deshaun Watson have to say to the team at all after he said that? He already told them privately. He told them publicly in talking about, you know, in his last press conference about all these people that think that they have the power and that we need to fix the culture. And then this was the Texans response. Like it, it makes sense for both the Texans and Watson to make peace, but given the, the distrust and the disrespect, I don't see how you, you can do that. I don't know that they have a real desire to do that, given the way that they've made all the choices since then. I mean, there's been a couple of olive branches. There are some some of the hires that the Texans have made would be positive hires, I would think, from Deshaun Watson's point of view. But yeah, but again, again, do you not think like Tim Kelly? Okay, I know Mike Devlin was you know vast majority of the run game set protections. Anything pretty much to do with the line was was sit, wasn't even sitting with Tim Kelly. So Tim Kelly's not even had a full season of being a, a fully fledged OC. I know a couple of teams were interested in him, but is that not an example of a guy who oversaw the worst running attack in the league showed an inability to fix it all season, but you're keeping him because it's an olive branch? You've not even done the right thing there, in my opinion, because you've just you've just you've just tried to to placate Watson in a way that actually isn't good for your football team either. Well, I mean, I. Tim Kelly, like everybody, I'll give him pluses and minuses. The plus in the Tim Kelly basket is, yeah, Deshaun Watson likes him. Another plus in the Tim Kelly basket is if you talk to him, you could see how in the future he might be a good head coach. He's he's 
um, a charismatic person. Uh, another plus in the Tim Kelly basket is, yeah, you're going to be changing the rest of your offensive staff around in a way that might be helpful. Like, for example, they haven't figured out the offensive line stuff yet or the running backs coach, but they have picked up um, Pep Hamilton, which is a great hire if if you're looking for any kind of hope <laughs> in the way that the hires are. Like, the idea is that David Cully is the CEO of the team and is going to get the best group of people he can together to come up with a collective way of having the team go forward. Um, and I think the bar was set so low, I think, wasn't it, under yes. O'Brien, that, that, that the, coaching, the coaching ability and experience. So they've obviously made a, a, a conscious effort to, to go and get experienced guys. Lovey Smith, which I, I'm not too sold on, if I'm honest. I, I think it's almost the defensive equivalent of O'Brien of somebody running an outdated scheme and you've not got the players for it. Um, so I think we'll be watching a, a defence. Maybe a better coach, but I don't think it's going to improve personnel-wise. So I, I can see what they're trying to do, but I, I, I come back to the point of if, if you were doing this process in the truest sense, not we're hiring a coach because we've made a mess of this and we think this guy can be effectively a patsy for some of our bad years here. Yeah. Why is he not hiring his own staff? Because you've seen, I've just seen that Frank Ross has been hired as the special teams coordinator has come up since we started talking today. Uh, they've hired a secondary coach from Philadelphia. Um, again, all experienced guys, 100%. But it it feels like it's been, it's a managed move by Caserio. And look, that, that, I'm not saying that's not optimal. But what I what I, I do have a belief in a sense that if you're going to have a cohesive offensive or defensive special teams whatever it is set of beliefs and system you you should be able to ask who your head coach is going to be and he should be able to tell you instantly here's my top three guys for each position on my coaching staff and I know they all view the game in the same way because you've seen other coaching staffs do that look how many people were on the Shanahan under Kubiak offense yeah. have all traveled and all done success are all been successful because they all believe in the same thing football wise so you can take yeah. all the noise that's around the team but it feels like they're shoehorning again come back to a perception of an image or of you know of people of faith or whatever it might be there's an archetype that they're chasing but I don't think that's conducive to winning football games and that's why we're here at the end of the day yeah, I mean, the the idea of how you do you put a staff together is, is pretty interesting. And you can look at the Houston Texans over time as just an example of that. Like, for example, in the very early days, there was an idea that you got all these experienced guys together, but sometimes philosophically they had different directions. So they didn't have kind of what the Texans allude to right now is alignment. The Kubiak days, the offensive staff was all together, lockstep, except for a couple of a couple of hires did not work because it didn't work well together. And so they kind of ditched those and went a different direction. Um, and then under the O'Brien staff, it was basically everybody on the offensive staff was it was very lean, kind of like New England. And it was just friends of O'Brien. You know, these guys were grad students or. You know, I've known this guy since, you know. Georgia Tech, that was always a classic yeah. one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so this looks kind of like a combination of different things. And you can't really say necessarily that David Cully's against any of these choices or that they're not aligned because I don't really know that. And, I, and, and on the defensive side of things, 
you know, it's such an offensive league um, that I'm not sure how many great defensive coaches are available for teams because there isn't defense anymore. You're not allowed to play defense. So, I mean, what that staff lines out to be, you know, is going to be a big deal because they don't have the roster. These guys better be very good teachers because they don't have the roster and they don't really have the capital to get the roster. Um, so it's at, at this point, it's hard to be kind of all in on this, like other than kind of looking at this as just a sociology experience and keeping your emotions out of it because it's hard to root for people who are doing things to run off the best quarterback that you have seen. Even if that means they get another promising quarterback, like whoever is the next Texans, if Watson is gone, it doesn't feel right. And it's going to be hard on those people. Like they are making things affirmatively hard on the staff with the leadership choices they've made. And maybe they just go, hey, we're going to keep our head down and work. But it, the world doesn't have to be that way. Like you can actually put things together in a way that's positive and, and connected to your fan base and connected to your staff members and doesn't make every member, every staff member's job more difficult. Like, can you imagine selling tickets right now? Well, that, that's that, that, that's the thing, isn't it? I think because last year under COVID, and there was it was reduced capacity, and in all likelihood is going to be that this year in some form or another. I can't. I I, I don't. I mean, I'm not that close to. Actually, I I can tell you the answer on this. I'll go for it. Yeah. Out on it, they are making plans as though they're having a regular season. So when they send okay. out ticket invoices and whatnot. It's going to, it's delayed maybe a little bit, but they are making actions as though there's going to be a real season and then we'll change things if it turns yeah. out not to be. Because they took that approach last year, didn't they? And it was quite obvious. I mean, I, look, I mean, the public policy and, and healthcare and that whole dynamic is so different to where I live. So no, it's, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, it's very different here, but what they did last year, actually the Texans were very good with this. They yeah. were one of the first teams to announce that, Hey, if you're not feeling cool about COVID and all that, you can either get your money back for your season tickets, or you can defer it to the next year. And they were one of the first teams to do that. And then later in the season, they came up with a plan to have socially distant pods throughout the stadium with yeah. limited capacity. And that's the approach that they took. Um, and, and so, but this upcoming year, they are expecting for people to pay up their season tickets <laughs> and yeah. to keep their PSLs. And if things change, they will change down the road. And if you have specific issues with COVID or things that you're concerned about, they want you to contact them. But I mean, every element of working for the Houston Texans right now is difficult because of this ugliness and it's going to stay ugly until it's not ugly. And that could be a long time, no matter what happens. 
Yeah, and you, f- you feel for like the media staff who just been put out a jaw for weeks on end. <laughs> and every time the team does, you can get quite a clear temperature check of the comments that, that they get. But why I was mentioning the the, the stadium and I, I, if I was if you were to if you were to give me a hundred dollars to to bet, would it be full capacity or not? I would go against not because. But I might be wrong. I might be wrong because the world's got to get back to normality somehow. I think certainly from where I live, I, I would very much doubt that I'll be able to attend. Well, I, I'm in doubt if I can even go be able to travel to Houston far less go to a, yeah. a football stadium. So that that's 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 where it comes in for me. Until you know that first bit, then the second bit of mass gatherings and stuff. Saying, but anyway, we're just saying we're not we're not. This is not a uh, an epidemiologist podcast. But but my point my point was going to be that. Is that the only way that Cal goes, mm, something's not right here, we've had 25,000 season tickets cancelled? They don't care. They've never cared. Like, basically, over the history of the team, they have made some fan-unfriendly decisions. Now, some of those could be justified from a football perspective. And there was never a time that most people thought, hey, the people running this team are bad. Now, there were some people eventually that were like, hey, look, this O'Brien thing, I don't feel comfortable supporting that direction. Um, but like, but even if they were football decisions, they were football decisions and they're, you know, some people bailed on them after five years of David Carr. Some people bailed on them after they ran off DeAndre Hopkins for, you know, just a terrible running back contract. I mean, there's all sorts of off ramps that people can have over the years, but they have never let that drive their decisions one way. And and frankly, in some ways they shouldn't, you know, you should not make your decisions for your football team based on what your fans want. But at the same time, running off Deshaun Watson and alienating Deshaun Watson because you like Jack Easterby is not a football decision. That is a weird brain. Yeah, I, I remember when I went to my first ever game in Houston in 2012 and and speaking to a guy um, at the tailgate and he said this to me and it stuck with me for, since then. And he said, look, you got to remember, if this team was run well, you could fill a stadium three times the size of this. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's so true, isn't it? Because... There's it, the market's just big enough for it not for the cracks in their seventy odd thousand tickets to not to not tell in in a way that hits them in the pocket and and he was so right and I remember, and, and I remember that day because they were just you know they were, you know you know when you're watching a game and your team is on a different level of the team you're playing and that yeah. was that and and that permeates into the stands and then I can guarantee that permeates its way into the into the the revenue through merchandise and suites and sponsorships and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I mean, the Texans are in the market that has, I think, the second highest number of Fortune 500 companies. I mean, it's a very football-loving area. Uh, there are any number of ways that the Houston Texans just leave money on the ground. But the whole yeah. idea that you have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback and you can't make that work is insanity like it's not just leaving money on the ground it is you are not running a football team if this is what the state of affairs is like if we just took the rewind button and did what 
everybody, not just Deshaun Watson, like Deshaun Watson just had reasonable point of view, like run your team like a football team. Like that's, that should not be a controversial position. That's what the fans position is. Don't run your team like a low probability decision team. Like just run your team like a regular football team, right? Imagine that that actually happened. I mean, how much more pleasant it would be right now how much more aligned the fans and the staff and the players would be right now. And it's just sad. It's just sad. This is going to be a case study of, of just horrible leadership decisions. And, and you talk about leaving money on the ground and, and the leadership eroding, you think as well, and, and it appears very much, and I would assume somebody of his position in Jamie Roots has probably got a six months sort of notice period before you can leave a role like that. But do you think his departure is... Because that, will, I'm assuming that will come out. Because John McLean's, I've heard him mention that a number of times. He expects him to leave. Do you think that, and then, and will that affect their sponsorship? Because I mean, like it's a small thing, right? But you, you notice these things. They've gone from BMW to, to Ford on their sponsorship of the one of the press conferences. Do you think the Do you think that the machine is too big and the market's too big for the the cracks can't emerge quick enough to just show a drastic picture and it'll always just keep churning on. I, I read it not. It's maybe not smoothly, but it's just there's too much around it in the league it's in to not like be so drastic like it was with the Oilers when people just decided not to show. Yeah, I mean, you always have opposing fans that would show up. Yeah. Uh, there's been years where that's the case. I mean, and they lost sponsorships through their bad communication of their decision in 2006 to go with Mario Williams. Um, instead of, you know, Reggie Bush, yeah, yeah. that was a football decision that they did not, um, they did not communicate it well ahead of time. They did not communicate it well after the fact it took about a month before there was a positive Mario Williams article written in the Houston Chronicle. <laughs> yeah. It was a different media environment then still, but they made that decision despite what it would mean for sponsorships and stuff. And I don't think that that really drives them. And it's pretty clear that the decisions that Cal McNair is making right now are not financially driven decisions. I mean, he spent a ton of money to get Nick Casario. I guess the rumor is that it's like one of the highest GM contracts in the league, yeah. who's never been a GM before. So, I mean, you actually have somebody who's willing to spend money he just has the wrong voice in his ear and it's going to be ugly until it's not ugly. And, you know, some people will off ramp here on their NFL, you know, their NFL needs. Like there's some people that never got back into the NFL after the Oilers left. There's people that off ramped at different times, but if yeah. you mistreat Deshaun Watson or you, or you trade him for whatever you can get for him, that's going to be an off ramp for a lot of people because, you know, even, I mean, and this is such a hard time with the COVID anyway, you know, that people have different financial issues right now. They have been spending their time in different ways and they've been relooking at the priorities of how they spend their time and money and, you know, making a choice saying, I care more about Jack Easterby than all of you. And I don't care about how much suffering this causes for a lot of different people. You know, 
continuing to support a team in that environment is really hard on people. Like, you know, people don't like to be abused. And so I think part of their messaging now is just like ignoring, ignoring that reality and just say, Hey, you know, we're, we're nice and we're going to, you know, servant leadership and we're nice people and we're caring people. And, you know, this is enough and maybe it is, but it's not going to be that way for everybody. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, in all my experiences, can't quite count how many right now, but of all the, all the, I think all the Sundays that you've been there in person, I think the game sort of gets in the way of a great day with great people and tailgates and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's a cultural thing, isn't it? That, that, that probably, you know, if it was in another market, it might have all come tumbling down. And as you said, but for every 10 people that cancel a season ticket or PSL, there's probably another 10, 15 people that either them or their firm will probably take it up. So well, maybe, I mean, yeah, yeah. you shouldn't always have that, that experience. I mean, I used to live outside of Washington, DC and, you know, Redskin fans were all in and now I guess they're the Washington football fans, but yeah, they got abused so long over so much time that you know their stadium experience is terrible. Now the Texans took the approach that, as an expansion team, they knew that they could not control that they were going to be good on the field, and so but they what they could control is their game day experience, and they've done that to their maximum to their credit because you know tailgating was not allowed during Astrodome Oilers times, but. At, you know, there have been years where it's just like, you know, it's like being at a funeral and just hanging out with your friends <laughs> saying, what kind of horror is going to happen today? And, you know, but it's going to be ugly until it's not ugly. And I, I hope with all my heart for everybody who cares even one bit about this and just for the market, it's just... It's more fun when there's winning football and there's more fun when you can root for the people who are running things. Yeah, I think that's it. And I think it's got, as I said, I just feel like there's another inflection point here where they can bring it back in their favor when it doesn't seem like it's certainly trending in that direction. Well, it's hard. Like, I mean, I lived through a lot of the Oilers days and, you know, so many of the Bud Adams decisions, you're like, I root for the team. I don't like the owner, you know, but that was more because he'd be cheap or he'd make decisions that were bad. And, you know, like you kind of like held your nose, but you still rooted for your hometown team. And that's not, that's not, that's not fun. It's more fun if you don't have to do that. It's more fun if you trust the direction that they're going and they care about getting your trust and earning your trust. And they don't care about earning your trust right now. They don't care. And they know that because they've shown it. You know, they cut, they cut a press conference off because they know they can't take any sharp questions because what they're doing is not justifiable. Yeah, so we, yeah, if we go back to the, the media conference, I take it you were one of the people waiting in the wings for... Yes. The question, what was your question that you had ready? Oh, geez. I, uh, I was going to just straight out talk about Easterby. Yeah. And, and just, 
I didn't even want to re rethink of the question. Like I, I had questions for both of the press conferences. I wasn't called on and that's fine. I mean, it's not about the media and it. And frankly, at this point, you know, people are like, well, you know, if they only, you know, didn't fire their PR person, like there's plenty of great PR people with the Texans yeah. now, but you know, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken beaks, you know, like you can't sell something that is on its face, not football. This is not football. This is, this is a football podcast where we don't get to really talk about football <laughs> because it's just too weird. We're talking about feelings and, and trying to fix a cor- corporate culture that doesn't even think it has a problem and thinks it's on its righteous path. Yeah. And the, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I just thought when there was, I think we touched on it earlier, but there was just so many questions I thought that went ahead and it was an opportunity to try and sell David Cully's hire, but I don't think they did that either. And I, I I don't think I'm alone or anybody's probably got any illusions of the opposite to say that he will have a successful reign. I've got no expectation of him seeing out that five-year contract and I don't have any real expectations of what the team's going to achieve until you get, you know, well into 2022 where you kind of shake the mess off. It might just be by luck, but, you know, you've got, you know, I always think the, the, the years of damage, which was all of 19 in all of 20, it probably takes you double that time to get back to an even keel. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that surrounds that. And maybe they know that. And I think maybe that's a realisation of, oh, we might lose our quarterback and, you know, we don't quite understand it, but we'll, we, we've done that, so we'll have to live with it. And it's an opportunity to hit the reset button. But, you know, we're talking about the Oilers, and I think it just go back to the point of he's the only good quarter or seriously good quarterback they had since Warren Moon in the city. And if you let him go, the whole thing becomes is rendered pointless by definition. So I don't know. I, I don't, do you have any expectations for Cully in this next, you know, even couple of years? Yeah, we had a millisecond of just being angry that Eric McNair was going to Tennessee. Um, yeah, my, my thought with Cully is I don't hold his age against him because he may not have had some opportunities early in his career for various reasons. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad that whatever happens, um, he's getting paid because he's going to deserve every penny of what he's getting paid to do the things that he's doing. I, I think that, you know, the best thing about the NFL is it's great reality programming that you can make predictions about any number of things and be surprised. Um, I haven't had many surprises recently just based on like just looking at rosters after the draft and after free agency. There haven't been a lot of surprises that way. I mean, it's been the Deshaun Watson show. And, you know, they've had eras where they've just had a show of one player being great among um, dysfunction. And uh, I don't know what the next era is, but if you're just looking at probabilities, um, the probability of something great happening out of the current fear and chaos and ugliness is not good. Like that's just not a really winning way of putting together a team, but you know, they have, they have issues. Everybody knows they have issues. And one way they might decide that they want to get out of their issues is getting rid of their quarterback. Who's not happy with them. 
or one way that they could deal with the issues is making peace with that quarterback and uh, realizing that, you know, when you have a quarterback like that, you can win games and you can build around him and you can build around his leadership style, which attracts people to play with him. Yeah, I think that, that that's the saddest thing about it all, isn't it? Because he was the only shining light or the only you know, jewel in the crown of the Texans. And you've managed to, you've managed to even ruin that in, in, in a roundabout way by being blinded to the decisions and the way you make decisions. It's it it's odd. I, and I just keep going back to the fact of if I was in the room with Deshaun and they, they get that sit down, if their agent does allow that. Because I think it's been, it's it's clear from, and I, look, I hate we're in an age where changing your social media profile and taking pictures of your in your in your work uniform versus your own you know person is news um but if if they do get that that sit down i would be asking Deshaun two questions i think one what do you think you're worth if we're to trade you you tell us and two what do you think the team that gives that up what do you think that does to their chances of winning for the next two years and would you not be better here than you would be there He knows all that. He knows all that. And they know what they, what he thinks about their leadership. And I mean, he knows all that. And, you know, ultimately the agent works for the player and this player does not believe or trust in the leadership of the Houston Texans. And he is correct. Like that's like, that's the conversation. The conversation is very short. Nobody believes in the leadership of the Houston Texans, nor should they, right? Yeah. And I don't see how you get around that with Jack Easterby in the building or the trust that you might have in Nick Casario one way or another of not just treating human beings like a commodity that is traded to get more commodity stuff, which is, you know, kind of a New England way of thinking of, of the world. But yeah, the agent works for the player. And I don't blame Deshaun Watson for taking all of his Texan stuff off of his social media. I mean, are you picking your Houston Texans t-shirt out of the closet to wear around town? No, I'm just about to move house. I put it on a vacuum bag actually, but uh, but a part of that part of that was embarrassment and uh, a bit of stain and and a bit of uh, I, I think I could sum it up. I had a conversation with somebody two nights ago, and he was the reason why I ever went to a game. Yeah. And and the phrase he said is, "Of all the teams and all of sport, why us?" Yeah. And it's it's so true, isn't it? Why you know. And it, I just hope it fixes itself. I yeah. really do. Um, but it just feels like it could go so many ways. It, it, feels, it feels like we actually need a, a full-fledged, real miracle. A real miracle. Yeah. I think it's going to take a lot. Because the, the problem is they can't, they've got nothing to give because yeah. they, they had the opportunity to do that and define a new era. And they chose not to, partly out of ignorance and, and partly out of just genuine... A disregard for what people might think and what and and the as you said the advice and I think that's so important because I think it's sometimes and look I've I've seen 
all the report, all the various Twitter natterings about Cal McNair's drink problem and, and whatever the whatever the core issues. I think there's probably more to it than we see. Obviously, of course, there is, but but it, it just it just feels like there's something missing there. And you know, and, and a lot of people have said as well, Steph, about you know uh, Robert Junior. He goes by Carrie, but like he must be looking at this as a as an actual bona fide businessman watching his brother and his family's legacy to a city. Is there nobody that just interjects at any point and says, what's going on here? I can speak to that. I'm not going to speculate about any of that other than I can just tell you that Bob McNair's death was a very difficult time for a lot of people in that family. Um, But I can tell you, I have talked to various people and one of the number one things I've heard is like, he has people talking to him. Like I put out something on Twitter. It's like, Hey, does anybody have a friend who can just talk to him? You know, like any yeah. friend I'll talk to him and tell him that this is not going to go well. And the, the feedback I've gotten back is everybody who is in Cal McNair's, you know, circle of people he talks to has told him how this looks and how it is. And this is the course he's chosen. Yeah, because I, I just can't see when, I know I don't know how much that's gone on in the last year. And again, you talk about that COVID element, but when they're in the, the Post Oaks Country Club and they're sitting there and he's meeting people and maybe less so now, and maybe he's just less in tune with that level of sort of Houston. Well, it's not even, it's not even that, like, you know, all the reports suggest that Deshaun Watson on behalf of the team was kind of in, in Cal McNair's ear telling him how things needed to be. And he didn't listen to Deshaun Watson. So like, there's nothing that anybody can say, like, he's just not listening. That's why we're going, is this a cult? I I compared it to, I don't know if you know the story at all, but, about Prince Andrew when he used to hang around with Jeffrey Epstein and he, he did an interview on on television here. Um, and it was one of the worst, I mean, it, it made Cal look good. That's how bad it was. Some of his answers were awful. It was the one of the worst interviews ever. He was guilty of sin. And apparently he went back to the Queen and said, I think that went quite well. And it's just because because of, of people who live a life that are not like your average person. They don't have to consider other people. They don't have to think about it. It's all being, do you want to be involved with us? Because, you know, ultimately, the, the, the real reason is because they had money. But, you know, do you want to come work at this company? Do you want to come and sit on this board? You know, whatever it might be. And all these all these situations have just been easy and straightforward. And the first time in his life he's had to do something at the age of, I think he's 60-something, it's not been easy and it couldn't have gone more wrong. Well, and, and there is that kind of thing where people will say one thing to your face and another thing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and trying to get things from you. I mean, it has to be weird to be in a position where pretty much anybody you interact with has the potential of just wanting to get something from you and telling you what you want to hear and having you feel the way that you want to feel. And I am sure that. Jack Easterby makes Cal McNair feel good when he talks to him. Yeah, and I suppose I think when you see all the reports and when you see, especially the second SI article that was like, you know, this is not just a one-off, this is not just a few disgruntled employees. And then McLean reaches out to him, and I don't know how close that relationship is and how that was, how that's managed, but 
you think of all those points to not change even the slightest. I mean, the changes may come once it dies down and then it's like they're not. Because I think there's a difference, isn't it? You can't bend to public opinion when you're in a position of power in a public interest entity. But it may come down the line because it's, it's been it's been unprecedented, I think, in terms of the the level of, of just complete dismay from people. Um, and, and no more so your quarterback. Yeah, there, there's been any number of bad sports owners over the years. Usually the bad sports owners are doing bad sports owners things because of money issues. That's not what this case is. This is something completely different, and I can't think of another situation like it whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been any number of bad owners of, of, over the years, and this is a bad owner moment, and either it stays bad or he learns or whatever. I mean, there's any number, like, you know, the past is fixed, but the future has infinite possibilities and some of them are good and some of them are decidedly bad. And if if you think of this off season that we've got coming up, what do you, because I mean, ultimately the season for us in terms of, you know, hiring, addressing all the the vacant gaps, still got a couple of coaches to hire. Um, But what, where do you think this team ends up by the time you go through free agency, which is going to be rocky, I would think. You're going to go through the draft and it's time for the players to start reporting. What, where do you think this team's at? Yeah, I, I was invited to be on a football podcast. I'm like, I don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. <laughs> you know, We know some scheme things, but they don't have the players to run those schemes. I mean, it's most known information would suggest that next year would be very, very bad, but there's still a lot of things that need to be done. It's February the 2nd as we're recording this, but it, I mean, chaos is usually not a great situation and especially not having your quarterback along with your leadership direction that I'm sure changed some things with which coaches wanted to come here um, and uh, which free agents feel good about coming here and, you know, what your direction is in the draft and, and how you have to address things. I mean, it changes so many different things, not having that your quarterback in the fold. Um, and, and so, yeah, they're, they're working with not just one hand behind their back, but both hands behind their back and kneecapped basically. Yeah, I think whatever they do this off-season, I suppose, just like, well, I think it stemmed from Casario and the hire and the going off the process and, you know, falling out with Jamie Roots and... One day Mark, Yeah, yeah, today's the first, today to us, and, we've only got one, one Tuesday. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, people will change, you know, sports is a hard business to break into. There's only a certain number of jobs. The NFL is one of the crown jewels. There's always going to be a line out of the door of people who want to get paid to do sports, even when other people leave. That's just, it doesn't matter how the owner is or how they're running things or if it's a cult or not a cult. I mean, there's always going to be a line of people and there's always going to be a line of people that are interested in the game, no matter how it's run. I mean, so it's just going to be an ugly situation till it's not. And, and all we can do 
for those of us who are interested in the people and the sport is just to hope that that they can come up with something that's sensible and makes sense from a football perspective. Yeah, and I think, it, yeah, you're right. There's just there's so much change that can happen between now and then. You've got to hope, you know, when things have gone negatively against you or, you know, or counter productively towards your, you know, your direction of field in a competitive football team, then you've got to get a break at some point, you know, and, you know, there's plenty of successful franchises with bad owners. They've just hired the right people and, you know, time will tell. But it, I think we might have to go through another cycle of, of people hired to get there. Um, and it may be a long cycle, this cycle, to get into a new chapter of what could be a successful era. Yeah, or, or you know, maybe this group actually does recognize the problems that they have and acknowledges those internally and fixes them. But they need to fix things with their fans too. Because this is just, this is just embarrassing. Yeah, and the only way you fix it is, is through Deshaun, and because he is the team, and and we'll see Super Bowl this week, Steph. Uh, any traditions? Or are you going to watch it? I'm still in two minds if I can bring myself to, to watch. I I didn't. That was last year. Was the first time after the Kansas City loss. I didn't watch it probably for well for as long as I can remember as being a certain adult. Have you got any? Are you going to watch it first and foremost? Yes, mostly because I'm. I like football. I mean, obviously, <laughs> but it'd be nice to talk about football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're talking about the real Houston Texans, the real Houston Texans are the people of Houston, Texas, yeah. and um, I, you know, the the nice thing about Twitter is you can talk with your pals about football as football is happening, and so yeah, I I enjoy the game. I enjoy watching the game. It's harder now when you might have had visions of what the future of your team was going to be in those. It's kind of being erased as you're watching it, kind of like um, you remember Back to the Future, the movie, where yeah. the photograph and the photograph starts having the, the individuals fade away. Well, you know, some some of the potential future, beautiful futures of, of the Houston Texans are fading away off off the picture card as we're watching it. Yeah, and I think I think that's going to be the big thing, isn't it? Because if you're Deshaun Watson watching that from home, he's got to think, my talent deserves to be there. It certainly deserves to be in an AFC Championship game over a guy like Josh Allen or, or whatever, you know? And well, I think can that, you imagine? The... Can you imagine how Watson's career would be completely different if he was paired with Andy Reid? I mean, I probably, probably would have won at least. I'd probably would have played his rookie year, and yeah, he might not have. He might have sat and learned under Alex Smith. And I think you know, I think people forget that Mahomes is his jump has been. I mean, I I, I remember watching a game when he was at Texas Tech, and it never at any point did I think he'd be the best quarterback in the league. I didn't, I, his 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 rise has been meteoric. So you think, yeah, if you put him an arguably a lower a lower or a higher floor player into that setup, then. Yeah, you think that the results could be at a very least on par. I mean, just the things that I mean, just looking at all the things that Deshaun Watson overcame last year to perform at the level that he did was amazing. And then to reward that with the Texans offseason moves is just Houston's tragedy. Yeah. And there's only so so much one guy can take. And I think whatever happens, I'll never blame him. Um, it's you know, Cal's opened the door for this, and the agent, and 
and and and the whole team around it will, will do the best what they think. It's going to be hard to get them out if that is the if that is the true aim. If 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 the real aim is to make positive and considered change within the organisation, uh, you know, obviously abject of the of the coaching hire, we're kind of fixed on that for the time being. But if that's the case, then it might be. But I, I can't see Cal replacing himself as CEO or or firing Easterby anytime soon. So. Yeah, it may have a bleak outlook, but we'll certainly be back to talk about it. Probably it's going to take a couple of weeks off, being the longest sort of January. I think we probably could have envisaged at any point. It should have been talking about the future and what might happen rather than what could have happened and where it's gone wrong. But uh, that is the Houston Texans for us, everybody. So thank you very much again for listening. Steph, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate having you on. A great conversation. I enjoy it. Your misery and company, I suppose. That's right. I think it's a bit therapeutic. And I know a lot of people have reached out to me as well and said thanks for various podcasts because it's kind of helped them and it's been a bit of a shitty time for everybody. But yeah, we'll see where it goes from this. We'll hopefully be back at some point if there is any developments in this Watson saga. Hopefully it plays itself out in a way that helps this team, if not into next season, but into its future. But thanks again for listening. You can check us out on podcasttexans.com at podcasttexans on Twitter and on Facebook. Rock and roll, baby.